Pints with Jack, Season 3, Episode 1. Welcome to Season 3, the inaugural episode. Yes, and good morning. Welcome to Pints with Jack, a podcast where two enthusiastic C.S. Lewis amateurs get together, share a beverage, and discuss a work of C.S. Lewis. And this season, we're going to be reading Till We Have Faces. My name is David, and I'm joined by Matt, too cool for school, Bush. <laughs> Did you think of that on the spot? Because in notes, it just has in parentheses nickname. <laughs> yes, well, since, uh, since you're disparaging comments about my haikus, I, I need a creative outlet. So I've decided that for this season, every time I introduce you, I'm going to come up with a really cool nickname for you. That's really great because in high school, I was the opposite of the too cool for school person. I was a nerd. So this is really nice that it, later in life, I get to take on the cool kid role. And also, when I met your mother, she was encouraging me to encourage you and be affirming. So most of these nicknames will be quite nice. That's why I love my mother. And I also <laughs> want to take a little bit of, uh, I don't know, maybe the word was beef. Are we still amateurs after going to a C.S. Lewis conference in Montreal? I mean, wouldn't we be now like intermediates? No, if anything, our status as amateurs is now in jeopardy because I'm not <laughs> sure if we're even that good. That is true. I saw the gap when when... Uh, one of the speakers had read 350, every single one of the Inklings works. I'm like, oh man, I'm, I haven't even read all of Lewis's works. I'm claiming <laughs> to do a podcast on him. You haven't even read all of Narnia. <laughs> <laughs> Ouch. For any new listener, yep, this is David and I. Well, for any new listeners, each week we have a drink of the week and a quote of the week. So what are you drinking this week, Matt? Oh, I mean, it's the beginning of a new season. Of course, I'm going to drink my favorite scotch. And what is that, David? Macallan 12. Oh, there we go. It is so good. What are you drinking? Well, I just got back from going for a four and a half mile run with my girlfriend. So I've got, oh, no, 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 I've no, got no. a pint of water, but I also have some Vat 69 okay, that is good. still delicious, despite the fact Douglas Gresham tried to ruin it for me. I was going to be really angry if you did our inaugural episode and you were drinking water. <laughs> like seriously angry. Need both. Need to hydrate first. <laughs> oh, well, I am excited for this episode, uh, which we'll get to after the quote of the week, because I cannot wait to introduce all of the new stuff we're going to be doing. But I'm getting ahead of myself, if you can't tell. So what's the quote of the week? I chose from Mere Christianity. For all new listeners, go back to season one. It's great. We went through Mere Christianity. I chose the quote, the son of God became man to enable man to become sons of God. And I chose this because so much of this book we're about to go through, Till We Have Faces, which is less known of his works with many individuals, because it's not one of his more popular screw tape letters one, is so much about that becoming, the tearing off of the false self, becoming the true self, that theosis we've talked about, that new man, that journey. And so I thought this was just a very fitting quote, so listeners know uh, what to really pay attention to and to get excited for. Uh, an actual account of a person becoming a fictional one that Lewis wrote, tying together all of his stuff from all of his works, honestly, for Love's Mere Christianity. So that's why I chose it. Well, with that, cheers. Cheers. Seriously, that's the good stuff. I mean, I like Lefroy and Lagavulin, but man, McAllen, it just has a way to my heart. Well, I've been kind of sweaty, so I'm really enjoying the water. <laughs> I'll, I'll get to the VAT 69 as you start telling us what's going to be happening this season. 
Yes. This is, we've got a lot of major announcements. I should have said welcome to season three inaugural episode and major announcements because this is where we're going to be announcing so many different things. For people who follow us on social media or naturally go to our site, which we get a pretty good amount of traffic a week, I see. So some of them have already seen what we've been doing, but first and foremost, we've got a sick new logo in conjunction with season three. It's fantastic. David crushed it with the with the using social media to essentially outsource this and to, to get feedback from dozens and dozens and dozens of people who love Lewis and to come up with, I think, a stunning logo. It is beautiful. Then we can talk about these individually, but let's just get them all going. We've got a new website. It's upgraded. It's fantastic. We're excited for it. It uses a new logo, new color scheme. We've brought the Oh, I can't announce this yet because that's the next thing. The next thing in conjunction with that is a new blog, which we're very excited for. Should be pretty much a post every week. Of course, David and I have a lot going on. So sometimes there's even with a podcast, we mix a, mix a week. But the blog, what we're hoping for out of this is our podcast will always be the central part. That's where you can learn about the work. We go deep and we really let the work guide the conversation. The chance from the blog is to allow if there was something that jumped out to us or a major theme for us to expand on it and to dive in and to, to, in my opinion, to connect it a bit more to our own lives and to allow it as a chance to, to connect it to our own spiritual journeys in a way that the podcast we still do, but we're trying to keep it tight to the content. And then in addition to that, the YouTube videos so you guys have seen the mini series we did. What we've decided to do with YouTube is we're going to keep that going. They're going to be more free-flowing conversations, and they're not going to be scripted. It's going to be where I, I have a conversation with David, and they're not going to be very edited either to make them easy to upload so we don't fall behind on them. Just a <laughs> David and I talking low pressure, similar to the blog, where it allows us to be a bit more free form and to have those conversations. And so you're going to have all three of these. And so there's a couple more announcements, but before with that, what we need you to do is go to that new website and subscribe to the newsletter, like click join. And what is the address, Matthew? Yes, it is www.pintswithjack.com. And the reason for that is it's YouTube particularly is the worst for notifying you when you get new videos, even as your subscriber. The blog, there's obviously no way you're going to get a notification. The podcast, you do see that. So this is a chance for us to send you an email every Tuesday morning. It'll be simple. It'll just come and it'll have the three different things we've released that week. And it'll be a chance for you to get them all in your inbox in the morning on Tuesday. It's like you're with the inklings. So go now and do that. Stop this podcast. Okay, you're back now? Good. Now you can play it. Yes, that's good. <laughs> and David, you've been more on this one. What's the next one here we got to announce? Uh, so we have some apparel coming our way. The designer of the logo, uh, he and his wife also have an online store where they've got all kinds of clothing and mugs. And they're just putting the finishing touches to the page where you can buy Pints with Jack t-shirts. I'm so excited for those. They do great work. I think I'm just going to take my closet and just burn all of my clothes and just repopulate it with nothing but Pints with Jack t-shirts. The one thing I can't wait to do for some of the listeners and at some point, and I don't know if there's a way to do it through them or if I'll just have to take special orders, Patagonia vests with the logo on it. I'm a big vest guy. If people will learn <laughs> about me, I love the vest. I love that Patagonia. 
And, and when uh, we were in when we were in North Carolina, I specifically came with a vest so I could fit in. I was so happy with that. You just made my day. <laughs> and so I really want to get some of those. And I don't think those you can't. You have to order the vest separate. So I have to do a side order, and then I send them off to a logo person to in, embroidery, and then I'll send them directly to people. Be a little pricier, but they'll be worth it. Actually, I might use those for giveaways. Those are great giveaways. <laughs> what else we got, David? Keep it coming. Keep it coming. Well, you and I have just been setting up a Slack channel this last week. What about the one and... before that? Oh, sorry. I mean, <laughs> sorry, I'm just jumping ahead. There's just so many announcements. I know. Okay, then the other thing that we're slapping our logo on are pint glasses. They're so good. They're laser etched with lasers, and they've got the Pints with Jack logo on them. They look amazing. When Matt and I were at the conference, we actually had one of these pint glasses sent to us there so we could take a look at it and then gift it to C.S. Lewis's stepson, Douglas Gresham. So when we make these available for purchase, just know that you're in very good company. They look fantastic. Mm. And then we also will through that we can do the scotch glasses too or whiskey glasses. The same site does it. So those look cool too. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yes. And now the next one. And now the other thing that you and I have been setting up is a Slack channel. And for those people who aren't, who've never heard of Slack before, think of it as basically a chat room. And so it's a place where you can go and you can talk about Pints with Jack and everything that we're reading and chat with us. I'm very excited for that. Listeners, be patient with us as we learn how to use that and to utilize that and to work that into our weeks. But I envision when there are hundreds of members a part of it in hopefully the next year, we have a lot of subscribers. So I think there could be a lot that do that. It's not only a chance for you guys to communicate with us, to ask questions, but it's a chance for you to communicate with each other. Mm -hmm. David and I have been incredibly impressed with how much you guys have treated this like a community. We get emails all the time that say, you know, this is, I look forward to this conversation every week. I feel like I'm a part of it. That's between us and you. But what we want is it to also be between you and other listeners. And so this is a chance to really take that community to another depth. And it's going to take some time. There's going to be some growing pains. We're going to learn how to do it, learn how to communicate questions, ways to utilize this. But I just envision this being incredible. I really do. Yeah, I think it'll make a real difference. I do too, but I'm very worried. I have avoided social media for long in my life because it's just distractions. I try to, I'm reading a book right now by Cal Newport, Digital Minimalism. And that's easy for you to say. Yeah, I know because David does it all. Um, I'm a little afraid though this is going to kill me because on my computer, I'm going to get so hooked to this. This is going to be my form of just when people go on Instagram 10 times a day, I'm going to be on Slack 10 times a day, just loving engaging our community members. Well, I actually use Slack for work, so I'm logged in already. So I'm pretty much going to be there the whole time. Oh, you're screwed. <laughs> <laughs> this will be another example where David picks up the Slack. No pun intended. <laughs> wah, 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 wah. Uh, so this is the beginning of season three. We have had tremendous success in season two and season one growth because of you guys sharing and rating and reviewing. So what we need again right now is a rate, review, slash share blitzkrieg. We need to really ask you guys to help us take this to the next level. We are so excited for it. There's going to be so, there already is so much momentum. We know you guys are excited for this. There's so much more we can do with this. The more it spreads, the bigger this community becomes, the more we can do, particularly the better the Slack community will be. So please go to iTunes right now or whatever podcast app you use, rate it and put a review. 
if you're going to put one star, send us an email first. <laughs> I've always wanted to know why people have, we've only got one. <laughs> it doesn't need to even need to be an email. I'm really looking forward to at some point getting a really vicious, nasty review and a one star. I just want to know why. I just want to know why. Um, yeah. But but honestly, please do that. Share it with some of your friends. This is an exciting time. Actually, probably the best way to share as well now is just the website because now that that's becoming a central hub, where in the past it was more of a landing page to learn about us, now it's becoming a hub more. That's a great way to share us. It's a pretty looking site. And also, we're just starting a new book. So why don't you just directly text a friend and say, hey, I'm listening to this podcast. They're going to be reading through this book. I'd love to read it with you. Ooh, great idea. So if you want, let's rephrase that too. If you want to go deeper in your relationships and friendships in life, share this podcast. You'll be better looking, more intelligent, magnetic. I mean, just this is just going to do wonders for your life. If you want to learn about, I'm going to screw this word up, but if you want to learn about, <laughs> is it British innuendos? Would that be the right way of saying that? I don't think Dang so. It. I don't think you mean innuendos. I mean like expressions innuendos. and sayings. <laughs> Slang. Possibly. Like, but, like, oh, bugger. Oh, bollocks. Don't get your knickers in a twist. <laughs> How's that? Oh, uh, Matthew. I, I, yeah, no. No. <laughs> but, but nope. you know, more importantly nope. than all of this, listeners, Matt made it to season three and he is still here. I know. It's kind of like the Princess Bride. It's like, good night, Wesley. I might kill you in the morning. It's like, uh, thank you for that episode, Matthew. I might drop you next time. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I know my apostolate. Yay. (laughs) For people that don't understand why that's funny, Matt has difficulty distinguishing the difference between the word apostolate and uh, apostate. (laughs) And I'm honestly just waiting for the time when he says prostate instead. (laughs) Matt has a hard time distinguishing lots of things. I tend to get things very close. Words are hard. They are, man. (laughs) I I tend to be the person who... I get things very close. It's the same thing with scripture verses. I always tell you, isn't there a verse that goes something like this? And you're like, yeah, it's this. It's the same thing. Isn't there a word that sounds like apostolate and means something? It's so close. Yes. <laughs> well, let's talk about what to expect now. Mm-hmm. In season three. Yes. Tell us a little bit, David. So in previous seasons, we've gone chapter by chapter through the book. And we decided against that for this book. We want to keep the pace reasonably high. Uh, And also, because of the nature of this book, it's just easier to talk about in chunks. So we're generally going to go by two or sometimes three chapters at a time each episode. Yes, and this is going to be a fun one because, David, you have already lined up very... This will be different than just our previous After Hour Guest Scholars because these are very targeted ones to actually help us on the journey. Whereas before, the Guest Scholars were more just interjected because they have some interesting information about Lewis that applied to the season. But these are going to be very strategic. So tell us a little bit about that. Yes, these ones are very specific. We've got a number of authors who have written commentaries on Till We Have Faces. And actually, you're even going to hear one of them in this episode. I met Andrew Lazo, must be nearly a year now. Uh, I met him at a conference, and Till We Have Faces is his C.S. Lewis book. We're going to be having him on the show several times over the course of this season. I'm excited. He's going to be, like you said, on this episode. Um, We're we're going to pass the baton. I'm going to buy out a little bit later, and he's going to jump on, and we are just going to hit the ground running with him right from the beginning. And I mentioned this in a previous episode, but it's worth reiterating here. As we're reading this book, I am going to be reading along with the episodes. So if you are reading the chapters in anticipation of each episode and stopping, 
I'm going to be doing exactly the same thing. Matt has read through this book several times now. Uh, at the time of recording, I've only read the first two chapters in preparation for the next episode. And it's really difficult because I really enjoyed the first two chapters, but I keep closing the book and going back to the beginning. <laughs> I am so excited for our longtime listeners to be taking the role of the brain and David will be the pinky. We'll see. We'll see. We have switched. <laughs> but do we have any other guests or Andrew will be the primary, but any others you're thinking? I, I think we'll, we will announce those as they're coming up. Okay. I've got a few more people I am trying to maneuver onto the show. Fantastic. So those are that's really what to expect, as we've already talked about. We're going to be doing this, though, with the blog, video, and podcast, which will be new. So again, have patience with us. We, we pray for your guys' divine grace there. Um, the, whole, the way to think about this, what we're trying to do is think of New York, the, the tourist bus scenes, or, or the tourist organization that say, we're going to take you by air, land, and water. You can take a boat tour, a bus tour, or a helicopter tour. It's like, we're going to get you by blog, words, by text, video, and audio. Like we're coming from all angles and we're going to be spreading Lewis. That's a, that's a lot of Matt and Dave. I'm not <laughs> sure if everyone really wants that much, but. Well, in the Slack community, man. So this is all going to be very new. All this to say is going to be very new. And I am particularly excited for Till We Have Faces, this book as well. So not only because of format, but also the material we're doing. I'm excited mainly because probably the best way that I would describe this book now that I've actually read it without going through themes or giving things away is this book is really the compilation of lots of Lewis's works in a single story. So think of how The Great Divorce really highlighted a lot of Lewis's theology on becoming, that theosis. So in a fiction work, he encompassed a major theological point. I would say Till We Have Faces encompasses that point. It encompasses the four loves. It's got a lot of mere Christianity in it. It's got even surprised by joy, his longing that he learned about. I mean, there is all of his works coming together in this story of these, these main characters, honestly, these two dichotomous characters, if that's even a word. And so I am particularly excited for this because we're going to be connecting this constantly back to his other works. Yep. We're going to learn a whole lot, including new made-up words by Matt. <laughs> is dichotomous a word? I mean, I know dichotomy is. <laughs> I don't think it is, but it sounds cool. <laughs> Tell you what, Matt, it's a word on this podcast. Thank you. Thank you very much for that, David. Oh, I, I realize you can't say much about your excitement for Till We Have Faces because you don't know. David's excited for the unknown. Yes. I, I, I have really enjoyed the first two chapters, though. So I'm looking forward to it. So probably... With that, uh, I suppose... Well, you know what, though? No, we should do one thing real quick. Briefly reminisce. Do you remember when we started this over two years ago? We're starting season three here, man. Oh, my goodness. We were so young, so innocent. So naive. <laughs> you know what they say. You yes. can't be old and wise unless you're young and stupid. We were recording the episodes on an ironing board with microphones that cost about 20 bucks they were stacked on top of three to four books because we needed every <laughs> advantage to help the microphone even be close enough to us exactly we'd have to stop every now and again when a toddler ran up and down the hall screaming or the the dogs freaked out in the backyard oh my goodness the editing that that took to to get that stuff out <laughs> was unreal for david <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> i had to add that for david <laughs> Oh, that was, oh man, we, we, you should attach to the show notes. We do have a picture of that. I know I do, particularly, of us in that room. I, I, I think we've at least got one. I'm pretty sure it's on our Instagram. Okay, good, because we, 
we essentially lived out. Doesn't Lewis have a chapter or something that essentially says fake it till you make it in your Christianity, mm-hmm. except with the Christian principles? I mean, we faked it. We started, by the way, with just no base, which is so cool to think about. I mean, it's such a blessing to have gotten to this point. We started with no base, except you had a small following. I don't mean in a negative way, but on, on, <laughs> face, on Facebook. And you, you, you dumped, obviously, this to all of your friends. I did to my friends, and that's how we got started. And here we are, two years later, finally on our third book. <laughs> <laughs> Delayed gratification. In the next episode, we are going to be reading chapters one and two, if you would like to prepare and then read along with us. But uh, now we're going to switch over to an interview that I had with Andrew Lazo, where I asked him some questions about Till We Have Faces, a little bit of background, and also what tips he has for people who are reading this book for the first time. Because everyone that I know who has read this book said they didn't really get it on their first time through. It took multiple readings for them to really start grasping what this book was saying. So we want all of our listeners to be able to get this first time. So we're going to go to a real expert on this book and find out what we need to pay attention to as as we're reading. So this, ladies and gentlemen, is where the overly enthusiastic Matt Bush, the brain, is going to bow out so David Lazo can tag in. Andrew Lazo. Oh, did Andrew Lazo, Lazo. dude. <laughs> Andrew Lazo. Andrew's going to hear this. Sorry, Andrew. Um, I'm going to tag him in. It's like we're in a uh, a wrestling match. I'm putting my hand up right now, and I'm tagging him in. Andrew, your turn. Go. <laughs> well, thank you so much. Well, actually, before I hand over to Andrew, I think I should give a little bit more background. Because, you see, it was about halfway through last season when Matt and I started talking about the possibility of reading Till We Have Faces in season three. And although I was really excited to read an unfamiliar C.S. Lewis book, uh, I was also a little scared by it. Because, as I said earlier, I knew quite a few people who had read it or started to read it and said that they really struggled with it. And so in February this year, I met Andrew at a C.S. Lewis conference in Pomona. And he was so enthusiastic about Till We Have Faces that I concluded that if we did decide to do that book this season, then I would just simply have to get him on the show several times to explain it to us. And I thought of calling this recurring segment FaceTime with Andrew Lazo. (laughs) Till we have FaceTime. <laughs> yeah, no, I take it back. That's way better. <laughs> Till we have FaceTime. So you've now heard his voice a couple of times, but who is Andrew Lazo? Well, he's an internationally known speaker and writer specializing in C.S. Lewis and the Inklings. He earned a master's in modern British literature at Rice University, and he's a frequent speaker around the U.S. and the U.K., and has written several articles on C.S. Lewis and Tolkien. In 2009, Andrew published Mere Christians, a book where 50 different Christians share their stories of how they met the mind and the imagination of Lewis and how they shaped the course of their own spiritual journeys. After spending seven and a half years teaching both English and C.S. Lewis at Houston Christian High School, he is now studying at Virginia Theological Seminary and preparing for ordination in the Episcopal Church. Andrew is married to author, speaker, and radio host, Kristen ditchfield Lazo. And of particular importance for this interview, for more than a decade, Andrew has been working on a long-awaited study of Till We Have Faces, 
And I'm rather hoping that having Andrew on the show multiple times this season will help keep us going until he finally finishes and publishes it. So, with all that said, all the way from Alexandria, Virginia, Andrew Lazo, welcome to Pints with Jack. Well, thank you so much. And I, uh, I lifted both of you a pint of the local, uh, the local pale ale from here in Alexandria. And uh, it's actually more like a dozen years now that I've been uh, completely confounded and puzzled and, and endlessly intrigued by Tilia Faces. And so I'm just thrilled for a chance to, uh, to talk to your listeners about it. Yeah, I'm really psyched about this. Now, we'll get to Till We Have Faces in a minute. But as I said earlier, you put together a book where 50 different Christians told the story of how they encountered Lewis and how he shaped their spiritual life. Uh, And so for listeners who haven't come across you before and haven't read that book, could you please tell us how you first discovered Lewis and how his writings shaped your own spiritual journey? Yeah, you know, I did cover this in the um, in the introduction to Mere Christians, and we're getting ready to do an official book launch. Uh, we've republished that, but um, I had this wonderful kooky aunt uh, from Colorado who would send me marvelous books every year, and uh, I got the Children of the Green No series from her, and the Farmer Boy, and and one year she sent us the uh, the Chronicles of Narnia. Um, I was raised in an unbelieving household, and so I didn't know faith from a hole in the ground, which is probably where my head was. But I did know great story and loved uh, the Chronicles just as soon as I read them. When I did uh, find my way to Christianity, when I became a Christian in uh, my first year of high school at age 14, I shortly thereafter reread the Chronicles and uh, was quite proud of myself for discovering that there was Christianity in them. <laughs> I don't know. I can pause for a moment of, of, of wonder and amazement, if you'd like. Um, yeah. And then in my 20s, while uh, living in Nashville, Tennessee, and traveling with uh, a Christian guitar player, a, a man named Phil Keggy, an extraordinary artist, um, I was really at a crisis of my faith and wondering if there was uh, enough depth in Christianity for me. And that's when Phil lent me first letters to an American lady, and shortly thereafter I read Surprised by Joy. And what I discovered in the pages of that book is someone who had thought through his atheism more than I'd ever thought through my Christianity. Mm. And so in my my early mid-20s, I said, well, I've got to get to the bottom of this guy, and now in my mid-50s I'm still trying. So Till We Have Faces has become something of a speciality for you. When did you first read it, and what was your initial reaction to the book? Um, yeah, I first read it, actually, it was a flight from L.A. back to Nashville. I had spent some time with the band Over the Rhine, whose first album was called Till We Have Faces, and uh, was completely bum-puzzled by it. I was gobsmacked, and I didn't know why. I couldn't understand what had just hit me. And I experienced what, uh, what I've come to term and, and, and come to find, uh, and I found similar reactions in a lot of, a lot of readers of that book for the first time. I, I experienced what I call the till we have faces whiplash <laughs> where you read the book and you're like, what just went right over my head. <laughs> and it, it reminded me of nothing of Lewis's. I'd read all of his fiction um, except this. I was looking for more Lewis. I was deeply indebted to and in love with uh, with his writings. And when I read Till We Have Faces, it seemed like nothing else that he'd ever written. And I was uh, sorely confused. Um, and so I put it away for a while. 
But then in 2006, uh, while I was, uh, I had just finished graduate school at Rice and got my master's in modernist British literature, as you said, uh, I was uh, invited by the C.S. Lewis Foundation to come to Williams College in Massachusetts and teach uh, a college-level course on any two works by C.S. Lewis. And without even really knowing why, I said, I want to teach till we have faces and the four loves. And so I proceeded to reread those books and found that they were deeply interconnected. And as I spent a, a couple of weeks with folks, day after day, every afternoon, we'd meet for two or three hours. Um, as I was preparing for the conference, I I, I feel as though I really kind of unlocked or unveiled, if you will, the, the deep mysteries of Till We Have Faces. I figured it out. And it was passionate and powerful and exciting. And most of us were in tears every day as we considered this incredible book. The figuring it out in some ways was based on Michael Ward systematizing the, the Chronicles of Narnia with the seven medieval planets. And the thought that came to me was, if there's a system to, to the Chronicles, which Lewis wrote while still at Oxford and busy as a tutor, I, I imagine that there would likely be um, a system to Till We Have Faces, which he wrote after he came to Cambridge and had much more leisure to write. So that's kind of, uh, it was 2006 that I really began to open it up and dig into it. And uh, I have been working on that book ever since. I owe Jerry Root and a number of others um, a long promised critical study of the book. And I'm actually even working on, uh, in my spare time uh, in seminary, uh, doing a, uh, an annotation of each page. So I'm going page by page and putting all my notes in. So it's, uh, it's endlessly rewarding and captivating. Well, it might be endlessly rewarding, but let's hope that there will be an end to the project itself eventually. Well, from your mouth to God's ear. <laughs> you spoke about the relationship between Till We Have Faces and The Four Loves. And it was actually at the conference where you and I first met that I heard a talk given by Dr. Jay Root. And that was the first time I'd ever heard anyone speaking about particular pairs of Lewis books. I think the example he gave was the abolition of man and that hideous strength. So the abolition of man was a lecture series that Lewis gave that became a book. And that hideous strength is his final installment in his cosmic sci-fi trilogy. And Dr. Root said that one of Lewis's favorite techniques was to use two different literary genres, two different literary forms as a means of communicating the same central set of ideas but through two different channels. It certainly, it certainly is. He's, he connects often his fiction and his prose. Um, you can get the key to this in this intriguing essay in Selected Literary Essays. It's an essay Lewis wrote called Variation in Shakespeare and Others. And he talks about Shakespeare's ability to, or his, his proclivity for, developing one metaphor and then approaching it in a different way and developing a different metaphor and then a different way and kind of attacking a subject from many different angles and sides. And I thought, well, I wonder if Lewis is doing that. And in fact, if you read concurrently his essays, his poems, letters, and his books, you'll find that if you pick a month or a year, he's often saying the same things in these different forms, really trying to get at the truth that he's trying to get across. So what was the background to the writing of Till We Have Faces? Well, this was a long, long gestation. Um, this was a, uh, an idea that Lewis entertained in his mind for much of his life. Uh, I was just rereading um, in preparation for our conversation. He read first the, the myth 
of Cupid and Psyche in Apuleius in 1917. And in 1922, so Lewis is about, oh, 24 years old or so, um, 23, 24, he began trying to write up the Cupid and Psyche myth. And he tried a number of forms. Uh, those of you familiar with his essay on how to write for children and his, his essays on the Narnia stories, he says an idea bubbles in an author's mind like marmalade. And then once it kind of forms up together, it's looking for a jar. It's looking for a form. So when he had a picture in his head of floating islands, well, that's obviously a science fiction book. You know, a fawn walking in a forest, well, that, that suggests a fairy tale. So he first tried to write this Cupid and Psyche story as a poem. He tried to write it as a play or a mask. And he finally turned um, latish in his life to the novel. Um, and if you read the note at the end of Till We Have Faces, and in fact, I'd recommend reading that note first. He does a quick summary of the Cupid and Psyche tale. And then he says that there's a, a change, an alteration to the story that Apuleius tells. And it's, he said it thrust itself almost upon the first reading. Apuleius didn't really tell it right. But that's the way that medieval and classical authors would often do things. They would take, they would go behind the received story and they would add things to it and subtract things to it. So Lewis, in, in some ways, is writing very medievally in kind of going behind Apuleius and making a, an alteration to the, the Cupid and Psyche tale. So he was at it for much of his life. And you actually see some of the characters bleed into other works. So there's a character in one of the earlier versions of Till We Have Faces from the 20s, I believe, called Caspian. Sounds familiar. Who makes a dramatic reappearance. And there's a character named Jardis, ah. who, uh, whose name will ring almost ring a, a perfect bell. And so <laughs> Lewis... No, Diggory, don't ring the bell. <laughs> yes, but don't ring the bell. Jardis, so or Jadis, as she comes to be called. So the the idea was percolating for a long time until he got leisure, until he went dry, and until he had a glass of whiskey with Joy Davidman one night. Now that's actually one of the other questions I wanted to ask you. The book is dedicated to Joy, the woman who would become his wife. What was her involvement in the writing of the book? Oh, my goodness. Uh, we could spend a whole season on that. Um, <laughs> and I've had great fun with Patty Callahan Henry talking about some of this in, in her podcast. Um, but one of the, the kind of revolutionary claims that I'll make uh, in my in my study of Till We Have Faces is that Joy Davidman was essentially a co-author. I've heard from Lyle Dorsett that Owen Barfield and George Sayer uh, both said the same thing that um, that Lewis and, and I and I've heard Walter Hooper say the same that Lewis wanted to put her name on the book um, as his co-author, but she refused and said, "I've just helped you write more like yourself." Well, during the Westminster Abbey Memorial Stone in Poets' Corner in 2013, I went over to England to be part of that auspicious uh, gathering. And that Sunday afterwards, we gathered at the Kilns for a celebration hosted by the C.S. Lewis Foundation. And I had some time with Douglas Gresham. And uh, Doug said, and these are his exact words, there was a double author to that book. Jack would write it up and Mother would edit it and make suggestions. And then Jack would go back and rewrite the chapter. And um, Joy Davidman herself uh, mentions that she's not a tenth the author that Lewis was, but she can help him write more like himself. And she says he finds my help indispensable. Um, and so they really, I think, wrote that book together. Hmm. 
that's really quite amazing that Joy could realize that Lewis was the superior writer, say that I'm not one-tenth the writer that he is, but to still be able to realize that she could still help him and tell him how to write more like himself. One other question I had for you is, I've just started reading Till We Have Faces, and I came across the epigraph right at the beginning, where it says, love is too young to know what conscience is. What does that mean? It's a great mystery, and I have to be honest, I haven't completely figured that out, but there's an interesting uh, relationship between the epigraph and and the dedication. So um, love is too young to know what conscience is, of course, is, is John Donne. But the dedication is to Joy Davidman. Uh, there's a letter in the Collected Letters, Volume 3, where Lewis writes to Jock Gibbs, Jocelyn Gibbs, his publisher, and he says, please make sure to separate by as many pages as you can. I'm paraphrasing here. P- please keep as far from, from one another the epigraph and the dedication to Joy Davidman. I wouldn't want people to get the wrong sort of idea. Or perhaps the right sort of idea. <laughs> right. Um, well, he says the wrong idea, but it's three or four days after he had married her in the registry office. <laughs> <laughs> so it seems like uh, if Michael Ward is right about Lewis being secretive, um, I think that there are some secrets going on there. I think he dedicates it to Joy Davidman initially because she helped him uh, not only conceive the book, um, there's a wonderful letter in Out of My Bone, edited by Don W. King, Joy Davidman's letters, where she says they, uh, Jack has run dry, but we stumbled on an idea. We had a, another whiskey each and uh, and kicked this idea to life. And then the next day he came down, having written the first chapter, and they went through it together. And uh, Jack went back and rewrote it. And so I think that she was intimately involved in the writing of this book. So to place the composition of the book in time, they composed that book together in the spring of 1955. What's fun about that date is that those who are familiar with Joy Davidman's love poetry to C.S. Lewis, those love poems end in 1954. And in 1955, uh, in the spring, they begin writing Till We Have Faces together. Steve Beebe and I uh, spent a wonderful couple of days traipsing through every biography and every letter and every reminiscence and recollection that we could find. And um, I believe, according to Warney Lewis and uh, Chad Walsh and his wife Eva and all those who were around, I think that Lewis fell in love with Joy Davidman in the spring of 1955, even though he wouldn't admit it to himself until she was about to die of cancer in uh, 1957, when he actually married her the second time. So I think that this writing together, this collaboration, is kind of the sight of them falling in love. And that's, uh, I think, an important factor to keep in mind as you read this book. How was Till We Have Faces initially received by the public? You know, it's, it's sad. And part of my fascination for this is because of Lewis's actual words. He says, Uh, that this is far and away my best book. And in another place, he says, it's much my best book. But he also goes on to say, it was a great disappointment with the critics. Uh, They seem to have have not known any more than we do what to make of the book. And so it just kind of sank like a stone. I think that Lewis wrote a masterpiece. I think that he wrote a masterpiece, maybe even on the level of one of the greatest pieces of fiction in the 20th century. But I think that he hid his secret too well. 
And so I think that people missed what he was trying to do, much like for 50 years, we missed that there was a, an astrological and astronomical, um, a heavenly structure to the Chronicles of Narnia. And so it really didn't do as well as he hoped that it would. And in fact, I think that um, some of the secret to it is, is found in the four loves. And so I think he writes the four loves to make the points that he was trying to make until we have faces, but that most everybody missed. So it was like him saying, okay, since you didn't understand this when I did this in narrative form until we have faces, let me spell this out clearly in the four loves. Exactly. And we're all grateful to Jerry for showing how Lewis kind of pairs fiction and prose in order to ex explain himself. Cool. Okay, so I've got one other major question to ask you. How should I read this book? I've explained to the listeners that I haven't read this book before, and I'm not going to be looking ahead. I'm going to be reading chapter by chapter, episode by episode. So what advice would you have for me and other first-time readers? Is there anything in particular to which we should be paying attention? There certainly is, and I don't want to tip my hand too much, and I hope to come back and visit with you more as, uh, along the way as you read it. And I don't want to steal any, any bit of the enchantment that you'll have in grappling with this, wrestling with this masterful, masterful novel. But there are a couple of principles that I would maybe bear in mind. Um, if you've read Experiment and Criticism, you know that Lewis sends out a clarion call for one to abandon the self and surrender oneself to the work. And so one of the things that made Till We Have Faces so difficult for me and for many people that I've talked to, and I've talked with hundreds of folks who had a similar experience, um, we approach a work with some expectation. Mm -hmm. <laughs> a wise friend of mine said to have an expe expectation is like planting a resentment in the ground and waiting for it to bloom. <laughs> um, so what I would urge your readers and you too to do is just uh, encounter the work Give yourself over to it. Um, just experience the book without a lot of expectation. I was looking to find more Lewis fiction. Uh, and initially when I read it, I didn't. Now I realize that all of his fiction is wrapped up in this book. But give yourself over to the reading. Another bit of advice that I would pass along is read it carefully. Uh, the lines are really carefully composed. And it builds precept on precept, line upon line, even word upon word. Lewis is using words and word order incredibly deliberately here. And in some ways he's doing it. It's not dissimilar to his diaries, which he wrote to be read to Mrs. Moore. Lewis had an audience of one in Joy Davidman. And in fact, the Inklings had stopped meeting in the late 40s. And so I think that Joy Davidman kind of acted as an Inkling for him uh, in their collaboration. So just pay attention to the language. Give yourself over to it. I'd also warn you that there's an incredible cohesion to the book, a depth to the book, a breadth to the book. It works on so many levels, but it, I think it also just works as a story. Um, if you don't understand what you're reading, don't take it out on Lewis, um, but just just read it. He's delighted in the fact that he's done. He said, I've done what I think no other mere, uh, mere man has done. I have spoken through the mouth uh, of an ugly woman for the length of a book. Um, and her ugliness, I think, is real. And it's, it's very much a part of what's going on. So I would just say surrender to it. Uh, if it confuses you, 
that's understandable and we'll resolve the confusion by the end of this podcast series. But there is intent, purpose, depth, beauty. And I agree without any question that not only is this far and away Lewis's best book, it's in some ways far and away the best novel produced in the 20th century. Uh, and I would uh, I would stack it up against The Lord of the Rings and anything else. Oh, wow. <laughs> I know. It's a bold claim. It's a bold claim, but I've got the answers and I'm itching to tell them to you, but I'll, uh, I'll wait until you, you all have read it. There really is every reason uh, to, to believe that this is true. Okay. Big claims. Big claims. Well, in that case... I'm sorry. I'll, let me just add one more thing to that. I think that like with Michael Ward's work, there's a deep-seated unity to the book. And I'll go so far as to call Till We Have Faces a positive polemic. I think Lewis is vigorously arguing for something, both in the structure, the form, the dialogue. Everything in there is purposeful. If it's confusing, you just haven't had the light switch turned on um, for you. But just experience it yourself and, and see what everybody I know who's read it, nearly everybody, falls deeply in love with it, even though they don't understand why. Let yourself be intrigued by it, and uh, we'll explain the whys later. Deal. Okay, so you and I'll speak again at the end of book one. For listeners that haven't looked at the structure of the book, Till We Have Faces is divided into book one and then a very short book two. Uh, but in the meantime, if listeners want to find out more about you, where can they go? Well, thanks for asking. I've been, um, I've been working on this book, and of course it happens and fits and starts. And I've, as you mentioned, pursuing a career of holy orders in the Episcopal Church. Incidentally, I just got an email the other day from Walter Hooper. I told him without specifying where that I had moved and am now attending seminary. And Walter from Oxford emailed me and he said, oh, I attended seminary myself in Alexandria, Virginia. <laughs> Perfect. Walter actually attended my school, Virginia Theological Seminary. But they can find out more about my work in, uh, at themythoflove.net which is the website that I've dedicated. And the work that I'm, that I'm writing is called uh, The Myth of Love, C.F. Lewis, Unveiling the Deep Mysteries of Till We Have Faces. Uh, they can find out more there. I've done a series of lectures. I did a, a four-part series of lectures for Houston Baptist University. Um, and I believe those are floating around on the internet. And I did a fairly comprehensive one-part talk, one-piece talk at the Wade Center last year. It's a little intimidating to have Marge Mead and Jerry Root and some of the finest scholars in the world in the front row. Um, mm -hmm. You want them to nod yes, oh, yeah. not shrug in horror. Um, but I did do a talk on Till We Have Faces for them, and I know that that's available on their YouTube channel as well. There will be some spoilers in there. You'll, you'll hear what I, what I have to say there. But that's where they can track me down. And then I'm available on social media just about everywhere. Facebook is, I think, Mr. Andrew Lazo. Twitter and Instagram are both Andrew Lazo. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. And we look forward to talking to you again at the end of book one, when we'll get to go further up. And further in. Cheers. And now back to you, Matt. I am back, Andrew. That was incredible. <laughs> thank you. Thank you for coming on here and sharing that wisdom. And this is where we wrap this up, David. Uh -huh. Don't ever say I'm not humble enough to gracefully bow out. <laughs> okay? Bow out, get kicked out, whatever you want to call it. <laughs> tomato, tomato.
But as usual, everyone, please share this stuff on social media. Text a friend. Invite them to come and read till we have faces with you. Or maybe even start a small reading group at a coffee shop somewhere. Yeah, we really need this, guy's Blitzkrieg. We are going... Was this? <laughs> We're going further up, baby. And... Further in. Cheers. Cheers.